Let me begin this way. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. Amen and amen and amen. Yes, yes, yes. Well, it was my privilege, if you were out at Inspiration Point at 6.30 this morning, you know that it was my privilege to be able to uh, bring the devotional time for us, uh, which was just a great honor for me and, and, a, and a real blessing. And now I have the privilege of doing that again. So, man, twice in one day, that's not a bad thought at all for me. It's a, just an extra special privilege to especially rally thoughts around the resurrection of Jesus with you for a few moments. We do have some more special uh, things that are going to come yet. The choir is going to return, and then we're going to celebrate baptisms this morning on Easter Sunday of all days. So that that's to be looked forward to. Can I ask you to grab your Bible, your iPhone or pad or whatever you're using, and let's head for the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24 this morning as a starting place. Luke chapter 24 if you don't have a Bible and you would like one, just raise your hand. Charlie's in the back. He'll be glad to share a copy of the scriptures with you. There's a little note page in your bulletin. If you wouldn't mind retrieving that, that will be uh, helpful along the way maybe also. And I'm going to begin by simply reading to us this record of resurrection morning from Luke's gospel, beginning at verse 1. On the first day of the week at early dawn, they, meaning the women who followed Jesus, went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. We'll stop right there. For just a few moments, church family, I'm going to ask you to think with me about empty promises. Empty promises. Now, that is an expression that is normally not received in a positive way. Empty promises do not normally conjure up for us good thoughts or feelings. And the reason that is true is simple. Empty promises are the, is the phrase that we use to refer to promises that are made but aren't kept, right? We call them empty promises. They are worthless. They're meaningless. Often spoken with great authority or conviction, but with no real intent that the promise is going to be carried out or that it's going to be kept. Unfortunately, all of us are all too familiar with empty promises, We hear them regularly in the political arena, right? Don't we? I promise if elected to do such and such. I promise if you vote me in, I will make this great change. And we kind of just smile and we roll our eyes because we know it's an empty promise most of the time. 
Or we hear empty promises in advertising all the time. Buy this, get one of these, own this, and you will be happier or sexier or richer or more fulfilled. We promise or else your money back, right? Purchase this new diet supplement. Lose your crazy craving for food and drop three sizes in just 21 days. <laughs> Empty promises, right? The only thing that's thinner really we observe is our wallet. That's the only thing. We've been fooled enough to know that the world's promises are full of emptiness. But fellow Christian, our God is different. Instead of making promises full of emptiness, on Easter, God gives us emptiness that is full of promise. And we want to talk about that. This morning, for just a few moments, think with me about the promises of Easter. Actually, three of them, as you see them there on your note page. Each promise is marked by something that is empty. An empty cross an empty tomb, and empty burial clothes. And it is the fact that each of these is empty that we can be assured of God's promises, that they are not empty. Because Jesus could not be held by the cross, contained by the grave, or bound by those burial wrappings, we know God's promises are going to stand. They are rock solid and they are unbreakable. Amen? Yeah. Well, first there on your page is the promise of the empty cross. And because the cross is empty, we have the promise from God that our sins are forgiven. The choir just sang about that great truth. Let's go back to the very first Easter morning together. It's early on that Sunday. The sun hasn't quite crested the horizon. A few of Jesus' followers, the women are on their way to the borrowed tomb where Jesus has been hastily placed. He was put there on Friday evening just before sundown. They left their homes early that morning, just the faintest hint of light coming their way, and their conversation is hushed. Imagine now, if you can, the task before them is a sad one. They are going to anoint the body of Jesus at the tomb where he was laid, as was the custom of the time. And as they come to a rise in the path, they all stop, motionless, quiet, and they stare off into the distance. And as we follow their gaze, we see what has arrested their attention. There, just outside the city walls of Jerusalem, stands the gruesome reminder of what took place two days earlier. Do you see it silhouetted against the glow of a pink sky on top of a hill that the locals called the skull? Do you see the three crosses standing there? Yesterday was Sabbath, and so nobody has yet taken them down, and there they stand, an empty reminder of unspeakable anguish and suffering. The one in the middle that one. We want to take a closer look at that middle cross. That's the one that Jesus was crucified upon. And as we look at it more closely, we notice that near the top of that vertical beam, there are bloodstains. 
They were made by the crown of thorns that was pressed down upon Jesus' head as he was mocked by the Roman soldiers. In the middle of the beam, more bloodstains from Jesus' back. There the blood had flowed from savage wounds inflicted when the soldiers brutally scourged him with whips that were studded with metal. And then more crimson stains near the base of the cross and out at the ends of the crossbar made by the nails that were driven into Jesus' hands and feet. Tears well up in the women's eyes. They cannot help it. They cannot stop those tears. Jesus really did die. And that is why we must see his cross this morning. It is the place where he died. But today, it is empty. Empty but blood-stained. Empty of Jesus' body, but full of God's promise. You see, the promise of the empty blood-stained cross is that you and I can come to it and be forgiven of our sins and the death sentence that accompanies sin. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, there on your note page, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, the sinless for the sinner, that he might bring us to God. And we say, Amen and Amen. Sin. You talk about a word that no one wants to hear, especially in our day. It's a word that isn't politically correct. And even less popular is the word sinner. But the sobering truth is we all sin. And therefore we are all sinners. Every one of us, you, me, the person sitting behind you, beside you, in front of you, we are all sinners. We've all sinned, Romans 3.23 says, and fallen short of God's standard, which is holiness. The only person who has ever lived a sinless life is the one whose blood now stains that cross. When we look at that empty cross, it is a reminder of God's promise that we can be forgiven of our sin. Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. On that cross, Jesus paid with his life blood the penalty that We could never pay ourselves. On that cross, Jesus offered up willingly, lovingly, his perfect sinless life for each one of us. When Jesus breathed his final breath that Friday afternoon, he was very deliberate when he cried out, It is finished. He did not say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. Since penalty has been atoned for, salvation's price has been paid. God's justice is satisfied. On that cross, now empty, the first promise of Easter is made. Any sinner can be forgiven and made right with God because of the shed blood of Jesus. Amen? That's God's promise. Instead of promises full of emptiness, on Good Friday, God gave us emptiness that is full of promise. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ, what? Died for us. 
shed his blood for us. Well, returning to this scene at dawn on Sunday morning, the ladies perhaps look long and hard at those silhouetted crosses on the hill. Wiping the tears from their eyes, they continue on their way down the path to the tomb. And as they go, one of them asks, Who will move the stone for us? The stone that lay over Jesus' tomb. And they have good reason to be concerned. That stone that was placed in front of Jesus' tomb probably weighed at least a ton. Even so, the ladies forge ahead. It's getting lighter now as they approach the tomb. And when they arrive there, to their utter surprise, the stone has already been rolled away. They enter the tomb, we're told by Luke, and suddenly a terror unlike anything that they have ever known before envelops them. Two angels, brilliant as lightning, join them in the tomb. And the sight is terrifying. They're speechless. And then one of the angels breaks the silence and he calms their fears. Listen again to the words that we read a moment ago. The angel says, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. The angels, envoys from heaven, personally give these women an inspection tour of the tomb. Jesus is not there. His burial wrappings are there, but he's not there. This is a place for the dead, the angel essentially says. But Jesus is not dead. He is risen. He's alive. The tomb is empty. And what a tremendous promise that empty tomb holds. The promise of God here is that if Jesus died and has conquered death and now lives, and we place our faith in Him, then we live too, because He lives. That's the promise. It was Jesus Himself who says in John chapter 11, verse 25 and 6, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in Me, though he dies, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in Me shall never die. Do you believe this? I will ask you, church family, do you believe this? Yes, Yes, indeed. And recall these words from 1 Corinthians 15. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we say amen. To anyone whose trust is in the risen Jesus, death has lost its sting. It is no longer something to be feared. This reminds me of the story of a dad and his daughter who were traveling down the road, a country road in their car, and and one afternoon in the spring, and, and suddenly a bee flew in the window. Being deathly allergic to bee stings, the little girl began to panic as the bee was flying wildly around inside the car. Seeing the terror in his child's face and knowing the danger that she was in, the dad reached out and he caught the bee in his hand. A few moments later, he 
opened his hand and the bee flew out, flew off and, and continued to buzz around in the car and the little girl was still panicking and the father reached over and he showed her his open hand and the bee's stinger, which was stuck in his hand. And he says, you don't need to be afraid anymore, honey. I took the sting. That bee can not hurt you anymore. The empty tomb is God's way of saying to us, Christian, you belong to me. You're my son. You're my daughter. You're my child. I took the sting. And death can't hurt you anymore. Jesus' empty tomb is the promise that because he lives, we too live even if we die. Do we believe that? Yes. Instead of promises full of emptiness on Easter, God gives us emptiness that is full of promise. But let's not stop there. There is a third empty promise. And it's a promise hidden in a place we might not have expected. And that is within the folds of Jesus' burial clothes. If you flip that little note page over. If we return to that Easter morning scene once again, after the women examined the tomb, they immediately went back to the disciples who were in the city and they told them what they had seen and what had happened. And with this incredible news, we're told that Peter and John, two of the disciples, immediately leave the city. They race to the tomb to see for themselves. They're not going to take the women's word for it. They've got to see this for themselves. And so if you will follow me now, leave Luke. Let's go to our right in our Bibles to John's gospel, to the 20th chapter of John's gospel. And find verse 3. Would you do that with me? Here we are again. It's resurrection morning early. Verse 3. So Peter went out with the other disciple, referring to John, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. And then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. Does that just sound like Peter? I mean, just blows right on through and goes in. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in and he saw and he believed based on what he saw. The two reached the tomb of Jesus and find it just the way the women said that it was empty, but not completely so. Inside, Peter and John find the linen strips of cloth that Jesus had been bound with, as was the burial custom of the time, taking strips of cloth and wrapping it around and around and around the body with various spices and ointments layered between the wrappings. That's all there was, just the linen burial clothes. However, John is an eyewitness of this scene, and he gives us details that only an eyewitness might have taken note of. He sees the burial linens lying in place where Jesus' body had laid, noting that the body wrappings and the head wrapping are separate. He says the head linen was folded by itself. However, the actual word that John uses that gets translated as folded literally means 
to roll up or to, to wrap together. And so what many suspect that John is telling us is that he and Peter saw not a folded cloth like a napkin on a table, but rather the head shroud that was wrapped around Jesus' head, but there's no head inside. And that that is what's lying there, separate from the body wrappings. Those are lying there as well, in their wrapped condition, as if the body was in it, but there is no body. We might imagine a butterfly cocoon after the butterfly has emerged. That's, that's what John sees. The risen and physically transformed Jesus simply passes through these burial linens at the moment of his resurrection. That is what many believe John is trying to tell us. Now, that is very important to us for two reasons. For one thing, this eyewitness detail rules out the lie that the religious leaders will seek to spread when they learn that Jesus' tomb is empty. They're going to spread the lie that Jesus' body had been stolen by his followers in order to promote the resurrection hoax. That he had, he's not alive, he didn't rise, he's dead. His body was stolen. But if his followers had stolen Jesus' body, they certainly would have had no reason to remove the burial clothes, would they? In fact, to get in and to get out would have been super critical, given that there were Roman guards posted at that tomb. Now, that's a whole other story that we're not going to go into. So the Holy Spirit, through John's detailed description, I believe is debunking this lie that the religious leaders are going to attempt to spread. The burial wrappings still lying in place in the tomb would attest to Jesus' resurrection, not to his being dead and stolen. But beyond that, brothers and sisters, these burial linens of Jesus lying here undisturbed remind us of the extraordinary future transformation that awaits all who are in Jesus by faith. His resurrection body was no longer bound by the same physical laws that it had been before his death. It's now able to pass through these grave garments without even disturbing them. This will be confirmed by the fact that on Easter night, in a closed room that is locked and surrounded by stone, Jesus will join his disciples who are hiding in fear. He will come into that locked and closed room. He doesn't need a door anymore. He's been transformed physically. He simply appears before them. And this he will do more than once in his post-resurrection appearances. And yet he will eat. And he will have a body that retains the scars of his crucifixion. But clearly, his resurrection is also a physical transformation. And that is important to us because it affirms in a very tangible way God's promise to you and me through faith in Jesus Christ that we too will be transformed. Amen? We will have new bodies that are perfectly suited to a eternal existence with our God in heaven. In the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, a chapter the Holy Spirit dedicates completely to the subject of Jesus' resurrection and our resurrection, here's how this glorious truth is presented to us. 
Verse 42, 1 Corinthians 15 and following. So it is with the resurrection of the dead, referring to the Christian. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Verse 49, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, referring to Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven, referring to Jesus. Yeah? I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We're not going to all die, but we will all be changed. We'll all be transformed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. The transformation of Jesus at his resurrection is a promise from God of our own transformation. For we know that if the tent that we our, if, if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. You looking forward to that transformation? Boy, I am. So once again we see instead of promises full of emptiness, On Easter, God gives us emptiness and it is full of promise. Off in the distance stands an empty, blood-stained cross, the promise from God that our sins are forgiven. A short distance away, an open and empty tomb, the promise from God that because Jesus lives, we too will live with him forever. And inside the tomb, empty burial clothes, the promise that the perishable will put on the imperishable and we will be transformed. These empty promises, brothers and sisters, they not only change our lives, they change our eternities. Instead of promises full of emptiness, God gives us emptiness that is full of promise. Amen? And amen. Let's pray together. What glorious truths you have chosen to share with us this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Holy Spirit, thank you for your word, which, which is so detailed in its description of Sunday morning, Easter morning. These little details are not, not just there to fill up a page. They are there to fill up our hearts with assurance and confidence and truth. How we thank you. How we thank you for your promises, which are not empty. Lord, for those of us who know you as Savior, this is such a special, glorious day. We rejoice in our, our relationship with you through the risen Jesus. Our hearts are glad. If you would perhaps be here this morning, though, and, and you have yet to settle the question of who Jesus is in your life, 
you're here and you're, you're, you're investigating. You're on a search. Perhaps today is the day and now is the time when that, that search comes to an end. You have found your Savior. He's not in a grave. He's not on a cross. He's risen. And your heart tells you so. In this moment, if you would give your life to Jesus in simple faith and trust Him and just confess your need for a Savior and that He is your Savior, He promises that He will forgive your sin and change you. Not just your present, but your forever. And if we can help you in that journey, please just find one of us after service and be glad to share some other information that will help you on your on your way to a, a relationship that you can't even begin to fathom. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, thank you for promises that are not empty. In Jesus' name, and we all say, Amen and Amen.